We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Mailbag bed. It's always day for mailbag. That's right. That's right. (laughs) We do have mailbags every day, but this is the mailbag show, Ryan. Yes. And we got a lot of questions in there already, man. So you want to? You ready to get rocking and rolling, buddy? You brace yourself. You do your stretches, your calisthenics, getting ready for the for the mailbag. People were in here early, man. Someone beat John A once to the punch. People were in here early putting questions, man. Wow. Okay, let's get to it then, man. Nathan Milton says, how have projection-type players, high ceiling, low floor, fared for Notre Dame historically? Do they typically hit their ceiling, stay at their floor, or somewhere in between? Well, number one, it varies player by player. But you're always going to have – and this is – Ryan, you and I have talked about this with the D-line class last year. You're the problem with taking a bunch of these guys and relying on a bunch of hot, low floor, high ceiling guys is the success rate is inherently going to be smaller. Unless you are just the greatest evaluators in the history of football, you're going to have a lower hit rate with these players. You, 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 you're going to have your Jeremiah. And these are the guys that we point to every time someone cries about the, taking a three-star guy. It's like, look, there's a long list of these guys, right? I mean, you go back to Tyler Eifert. He was a three-star kid coming out. I mean, Jeremiah Wusu-Koromoa. The, the, it's a very long list of guys um, that that you look at and say, they've had a ton of – Joe Walt, they've had a ton of these guys hit, right? But there's also a ton of them that either were role players or never did anything at Notre Dame. And that rate is going to be higher. It's always going to be higher with those kind of guys because you are projecting, and sometimes guys don't pan out. Some kids, as they grow, their body kind of it, it gets a little more. I'm trying to have fragile, right? Because yeah. you know they can't they, carry the weight. Yeah. yeah, and and they just break down a little bit easier, and that's always a risk with a guy that that is got a body type and a guy like um, you look at a guy like uh, Bubakar Traore, right? Great traits, but d- is he going to develop the instincts, the technique? Those are all unknown. Some will, some won't. For every, for every Adetokounmpo Ogundiji that pans out, there's three or four other D linemen that, that that never got to their full potential or the potential that the staff thought that they could get to. So the, Notre Dame has done very well, very well 
the last 10 years and finding and identifying, well, really the last 15 years, and finding and identifying these players. And some of the guys, you know, Benjamin Morrison's an example. When Notre Dame landed him, he was a three-star recruit. Now, he eventually became a four-star by everybody except on three, but nobody had him in the top 300. The Notre Dame staff said, I don't care what the rankings are. We like that kid. But for every Benjamin Morrison, there's a Jalen Brown, there's a Low Wood, there, you know, there's this other three-star guy that that was a three-star guy. And then there's the the guys that did have the high ceilings that never panned out, you know, those type of players. And and sometimes those guys that have those high ceilings do reach a plateau because, like he says, do they hit their ceiling? Do they stay at their floor somewhere in between? Ramon Henderson, for me, is sort of in between. He's yeah. not at his floor anymore. He's a quality football player, but he hasn't hit a ceiling yet either. So he's somewhere in between where DJ Brown is hit a ceiling. That's he is who he is. DJ, you know, Ramon Henderson's a guy that still has room to grow, but at this point in time, right, he's a senior. Now you start to wonder, is that jump going to happen? Sometimes it does. Sometimes it doesn't. And, and those are the things you look at and every kid hits it at a different, different stage, right? Like Jeremiah Wusu Koromoa needed a couple years. Now he would have played in 2018, and been a good special teams player and a backup guy, but he wasn't ready to be a, a stud in 2018. He needed year three. Joe Walt needed half of his freshman season <laughs> to start to show that ability. You know what I mean? And it just varies. But you 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 ha- you can't just like people have said this right. And, and these are people that are tend to be on my side of the recruiting rankings aisle. You give me a team of a, of the best three stars and, and and name this list of guys, and we're going to be able to go compete for championship. Probably not. Because the reality is, is if you do have an, a, a team of 85 low floor, high ceiling guys, you're going to have a lot of guys that don't pan out. And there's going to be a big gap in between the top of your depth chart and the bottom of your depth chart. That's just the reality of it. You need some guys that are high floor guys that maybe don't have high ceilings. You need some guys that have both high floors and high ceilings. You need your Michael Mayers as well. You need your Kyle Hamilton's as well. You have to be able to mix those guys up with your Cam Hart's and, and, and guys like that. And so like Dalen Hayes never was the player that that we had hoped he would be upside-wise. But you know what Dalen Hayes was the minute he stepped on foot on campus? A good football player. Yeah, He didn't get a ton better, but he was just a good football player for four years. You need guys like that, right? And, and so there has to be that balance when you're putting a class together. And that's the comment I made earlier, Ryan, is, okay, you've got some really good high-floor guys in this class, high-ceiling guys in this class. The next few commitments, I need some higher floors with some of these guys, right? I need a Kayla Beasley. I need a Kingston Villiama Ace. I need a, you know, I need a, a Justin Scott. I need, I need a Dewan Lane, a Jalen McLean, who you had some big news on today, Ryan. So if you didn't yeah. hear that, go to irishbreakdown.com. Ryan talked to Jalen McLean today. And he has actually set up an official visit to Notre Dame, which shocked us because. To our surprise, yes. Yes. <laughs> I mean, you talked to him recently, Ryan, and it was just like, yeah, you know, it is what it is with Notre Dame. But so yep. the fact that he set up a visit certainly is positive. And so um, uh, you have to strike the balance, Ryan, because you're always going to have a lower success rate with those guys as far as panning out and hitting their ceilings. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, 
Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And I, I mean, when you're talking about the NFL draft version of this, Nathan, it's the boomer bus players, right? Mm-hmm. And you don't want to look, same thing Brian just said, you do not want to boat, you do not want to load up an NFL draft class on boomer bus prospects. You know why? Because there's a high variance there. Either most of them are going to hit and you're going to look like a genius or none of them are going to hit. And you're going to get fired in a couple of years. Like that's kind of how this thing works. It's not usually you named one, Brian, right? It's like Ramon Henderson's kind of in that middle ground, but most guys never find that middle ground. Either it's whole ceiling or it's all floor. And you don't really find as much middle ground with those guys that are hot, that are high ceiling, low floor guys. And that's the, that's the scary part of this evaluation at times. That's why you don't want to load up on a bunch of these guys. You want to pick and choose your spots where you can take a gamble on some players. So I think that that is a roster building strategy from college football to NFL and everything in between as far as how to build. You don't want to just load up on guys that you know the floors because sometimes those guys are also a little bit of lower ceiling type of players. Maybe that you max them out a little bit quicker. Teddy Rezac can be a very good player at Notre Dame or he's going to be a player that is just kind of there, right? Like he's in the room and he's, he's fine, you know, like he's good, but he's not never maybe a difference maker or he could be. There's a high variance to him as a player, in my opinion. So Ryan, I, I um, so there was a comment down here from from um, that uh, Matt McCarthy made, which I liked, and I want to kind of uh, discuss it because it it adds to this conversation here. So I'll have you read this real quick while I'm while I'm looking up the specifics of that class. Yeah, Matt says Notre Dame had five three stars in the 2016 class to make it to the NFL: Ade Ogundiji, Ian Book, Jalen Elliott, Julian Love, and Jameer Jones. And it would have been six if not for Kevin Stefferson getting in trouble. Because I believe he's looking oh, at the 247 composite list. Yeah. And, and you know, and, and you're correct, but here's the point. So they had five that made it, but let's see, there was one, two, three, four, five, six, seven that didn't make it. Right. I mean, so so again, that's the that's the whole point. But that's that this point, Matt's point comment points to the fact that Notre Dame has had success with guys like this. Now, for not sure. all those guys were consensus three stars. Jalen Elliott, for for example, I know off the top of my head was a four star with rivals. And, and I believe some of those other guys were. I, I believe Julian Love had at least one service that had him as a, a, a four a four star. I could be wrong on that. 
Uh, I'm actually going to check now. So just give me one second. I thought there was one. Yeah, Rivals also had him as a four-star. Now, they weren't top 250 guys, but it, it's not like they were these, who the heck is that guy type of prospects. <laughs> but to your point, um, some of those guys were high-ceiling guys, right? Like, Jameer Jones, to me, was not the guy we're talking about, though, right? He was a three-star example, but Adi Tagumba Ogandiji was a low-floor, high-ceiling guy. Ian Book was not. Yep. Ian Book was just a solid player. Jalen Elliott, low floor, high ceiling, because he never really played DB. Julian Love was similar to low floor, high ceiling. He was playing running back, returning kicks. You know, you, you, you looked at some, you saw some upside there. And, and that kind of fits more into what we're, what we're talking about here, right? Like, like Jack Kaiser's not a low floor, high ceiling guy. Jack Kaiser was right. a high floor, low ce- lower ceiling guy because he had some physical traits that you just couldn't fix. He, he's not going to grow three inches and, and, and get a five more inches on his wingspan. But Jack Kaiser is a guy that you knew at the very least was going to be what he's been at Notre Dame, right? And 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 he's been a solid football player. Then there's the guys that are like a Jalen Sneed, you know, who who to me has a little bit of a higher floor than you'd think, but also still raw to 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 reach his full potential because because at least athletically he's going to help you to some degree. And what I like about this current staff, Ryan, is we're seeing them err more on the side of that, the toolsy guy as opposed to the really steady you know three-star kid that's going to come and be a high effort guy and stay out of trouble and 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 outplay his ranking that's different than the low floor high ceiling guy well well, every 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 three stars created differently like there there are three stars for different situations to your point like some guys are a little bit more maxed out and there's three-star level player some guys are only three stars because they are, have a lot of room of growth that needs right. to happen moving forward, to your point. Right. That's a, that's a good way of putting it, Ryan. Very good way of putting it. I like that. Next question from John A1. What's up, John? If the talent between quarterbacks is even, do the Notre Dame quarterbacks have an advantage playing in South Bend in bad weather in late October, November? Are there things the quarterback coaches will teach technically for inclement weather? Sure. I mean, if it's inclement weather, it depends on what kind of inclement weather we're talking about. Some things you can replicate, others you can't. If I'm in a, 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 a an area of the country that just doesn't rain much, and I'm looking at the weather forecast and we're traveling over somewhere and it's going to rain in South Bend this weekend, there's plenty I can do. I can get a bucket out there and literally dip the ball in the bucket every single time they're about to snap. Or I can, which I think is more realistic, is pour water onto it every couple plays, right? And then that's how you work on that. Okay. There's different things you can do. You can wet your, you can, you can find a, If you have one of your grass fields, you don't mind getting a little bit ripped up. You can wet your field a little bit and get a practice in on a wet field. I think that's important to do that. Uh, I remember Ryan once when I was coaching, well, you'll be familiar with this. When I was at Muhlenberg, I was playing at Moravian, which I, I know you've heard of Moravian and, and it yep. was a grass field and we had gotten really bad rain and snow and it was pure mud. So we literally spent the entire pregame working on how to cut in the mud. We won eight to nothing, and my running back went for 150 yards on 30-some carries, and I can't tell you how many times he kind of stopped in the mud as, like, three guys went sliding <laughs> past him. Hydroplane. Right? Yeah, yeah, because yeah. they didn't know how to cut in the mud. It was like sink your base, widen your hips, make quick choppy steps, don't try to plant and go. And, you know, the linebackers are running at him, and he kind of slows down, and they can't slow down because they're running full speed. Just go right by him, right? Yeah. There's things like that you can prepare for. What's harder to prepare for is cold. 
So I don't care what USC wants to do. If they're going to come out here and play Notre Dame and it's going to be 30, there's nothing they can do to – I mean, you can't get your inside facility that cold. They're going to go chill in some freezers. Snow. They're going right. to go to 7-Eleven and just sit yeah. in the freezer. Unless you're going to put them in a bus and like take them out to like, you know, the, the you know, Bear Mountain or something like that and try to practice yeah. out there, you know, a few hours away. So it's like my wife grew up in San Diego, but she did ski patrol. And I remember her telling me that when we were dating. I was like, hold on a second. I didn't believe her. I think this chick's lying to me. Hold, you're from San Diego. How did you do ski patrol? Did you like move to Utah during the no? She's like, no, like about an hour and a half away. There's a mountain range and there's this place called Bear Mountain that has a ski resort. I'm like, oh, I had no clue. So maybe if they're going to do something like that and practice out there, I guess, but they're not going to do that. Right. So that's a little harder to prepare for. And that is something that Notre Dame has an advantage on because they can have an outdoor practice. They can have the quarterbacks go out there and do pregame or, you know, do warm ups in the cold to get used to it. Cause the, the, the difference is like a football when it's wet is just it's slippery it's slick there's things you can do the problem with cold is your your hands like your skin sort of condenses right and and so it's not that your hand gets smaller but your skin gets a little tighter which makes it even harder to grip the ball if you don't have really big hands and it just getting used to staying loose in that type of weather can be a challenge now ryan for you it's not a challenge you played football in new jersey right it's just something you guys are used to I grew up in Ohio, but I moved to Virginia Beach. And so I played my four years of high school football in Virginia Beach. And I played my freshman year of college in North Carolina. And it was just kind of like uh, we played a game up in New Jersey when I was in college. And I'm like, this is for the birds, man. Like I just, <laughs> you know, I just wasn't used to it by then. And there's nothing that we could do in practice to replicate it being 35 degrees. And so I think that's where you can have an advantage. But like elements, rain, snow, things like that. That's not really – That's you can prepare for that because all snow does is just make the ball wet. It, yeah. it doesn't impact your ability to play unless it's covered in snow, but that's no different than playing in mud. And and uh, it doesn't really – you know, it doesn't really impact the turf field all that much, not the field turf the way that it is now. It'll it'll mat down in it more than like the old school field turf, you know, the old school Asher turf. But the cold is the one thing to me, Ryan. And wind, that's another thing. You can't replicate wind. If you're good – if you're, if you're from – you know, Jacksonville, Florida, and you're going to go up and play the Giants. I don't know that I don't know if they have the technology nowadays where you can make your practice facility 30 mile an hour wind gusts. I, it, you know, something like that, that, that you can't prepare for, but cold and wind is about, about what you can't prepare for. But, but moisture is something I think <laughs> is uh, something you certainly can do. I remember the Eagles played in a snow game a few years ago when LaShawn McCoy was still on the team, and he was the only guy that day that looked like he was just running on a regular turf that day, man. He was just phenomenal in the snow. And he's a Pittsburgh guy, right? So it makes sense. He's used to kind of the different climates, obviously, of the Northeast. So I agree, man. I think that there is a there are some things that you can prepare for without a doubt, and then there's other things that it's just – where you grew up and where your body has kind of gotten used to type of situation like snow for me, I'm fine. But if you dump me down in Florida and I'm like 110 degree heat every single day in two a days, then I'm probably not going to be acclimating as well as some of the Florida guys down there even, you know? So I think yeah. it works both ways, honestly. All right. Good question, John. That's a very good question. Let's get to, um, here we go. Let's get some Next more. question is from Domer Grizz. I said, happy Friday. You too. What do cornerbacks do in the summer to work on their craft besides seven on seven? Are there drills they do while the quarterbacks and wide receivers are working on their timing? Yeah. I mean, there's a ton of drills they can do. I mean, footwork drills, read drills, um, 
strength drills, handwork, footwork drills, release drills. I mean, if, if one you're one doing one it right, ones. yeah, yeah. If, if you're doing your off season training, right, you're spending more time doing drills than you are doing seven on sevens and one on ones. I mean, now you're still doing a lot of that, but you're doing a ton of drill work. I mean, just working on that first step, just really working on our plant step, you know, just really working on the timing of that first step. And I'm a big believer in having kids spend their off season doing everything that they're, that you need them to do, but also compartmentalizing certain things. I'm a big believer in that, Ryan. So like, Hey, really work on that first step when you're going to press, don't just go out there and do it all. Just work on that first step, reset, work on that first step, reset. Okay. Now have the guy make this move. Okay. Bam, bam right? Getting that second hand involved, work on getting your hand slapped away and getting it back on there. Just taking each individual aspect of it. So if you were to take a, 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 a cornerback playing press man and take that whole rep from a, a, a game, I'd say take all the different things straights that he needs. And you need to have drills that speak to each of those and they need to work on those. Right. So that first step, you know, then working on hand fighting. So just have two guys standing side by side and just have them hand fighting. That's it. Just, you know, what, what are you going to do? What if he does this? What if he does that? What if he does this? And I'm doing that with my receivers too. I'm getting those, I'm, I'm getting over there and I'm just doing all types of stuff. I'm grabbing the Jersey. I'm tugging on this. I'm doing this. And I, they need to learn how to fight that, how to beat that. Cause I don't want to hear, well, he grabbed my Jersey coach. Well, we practiced on this all freaking off season and all in fall camp on how to get off of a guy grabbing your Jersey. Right. And here's the other thing. If you'd have done a better job at the line of scrimmage, he wouldn't have been able to grab your jersey, you know. So there's always those things that you got to teach and work on. And then there's things where if you can't get him off of your jersey and the ball comes, there's ways to attack the football to make it obvious to the referees that this guy's holding your jersey. You practice that stuff, too. Football is a very compartmentalized thing as far as the building blocks of getting you to play where you need to play. And that's what the summer is great for, Ryan. It's a great time for that. And um you know, like when I'd have my receivers run drills, I didn't have them work on five yard outcuts, 10 yard outcuts, 15 yard outcuts. I had them work on top ends at five yards. Here's your top end, right? Here's your, you're doing a million. You don't need to run 15 yard top end, you know, uh, speed cuts. You'll need to run 15 yard curl routes because the top end is the same as a hitch, right? It's the same as a tent stop at 12. It's the same as a stop at 20. You work on those top ends because it's about maximizing that specific trait. Then you can work on the other parts when you get into the one-on-ones and you get into the seven-on-seven. Now we can work on the depths and the distances and things like that. Like, But you're compartmentalizing it when it comes to the drill work, and that's stuff that you spend a lot of time doing in the offseason. A lot of defensive backs that I've been around always used to go to the beach during the summer mm-hmm. because they used to like to do all their footwork stuff in the sand because of the – I mean, it's it's more resistance, obviously, right? Like it's harder to get a good grip. It's harder to be consistently in and out of your pedal to break in and out of breaks, those types of things. And they used to love it, man. Like I know they used to really do it because that that was just one thing where it forces you to have as crisp as footwork as possible and to maintain good bend in your hips and to be able to sink properly and do all those types of things. Because if you're in sand and you are working on your back pedal, let's say, and you're working on breaking towards the line of scrimmage and you are not playing with a good base and your hips are too high, you are not going to change direction very well. Like that's just kind of the thing. So I think resistance is another thing that people use a lot in the off season. That's why you see in the weight room, they'll use the resistance bands and the chains and all that type of stuff as well. But I've really, I've known a lot of defensive backs that used to just, even if they weren't close to a beach, they would just design their spring, their summer break around when they're not with the team, going to the beach, not for pleasure, just for the everyday grind of practicing on the beach because the sand I know was a big thing that they loved. 
Yep. And we had a super chat down here from Brandon Plensner I wanted to bring up. Brandon says, how would you grade a safety class of Kennedy Erlacher, Dewan Lane, and Paul Menke Jr.? Do you think they should or will take four? How do you see a safety class shaking out? You know, Ryan, I'd be a little torn on that one for exactly what we talked about at the beginning of the show. I'd like the upside of that group. I like Kennedy Erlacher's upside. Paul Menke's, Paul Menke to me is a little bit more of a high floor, lower ceiling guy. To me, I don't know. You may feel differently, Ryan. Dewan Lane is would to me is a top hundred player in my view. I mean, I I, I think a lot higher of Dewan Lane than the National Recruiting Services. Him and him and uh, Jalen McLean both. I, although I do, I think do I think one service now has Jalen in the top hundred. One hundred five is one hundred five is his Close. highest. Okay, yeah. uh, he should be higher than that yes. to me. But one hundred five is it's it's splitting hairs, right? It's like okay, you see him fifteen spots off, and when you're talking about that, it's it's no problem. Yeah. Like two others happen as a three star. That that's absurd. That's just silly. Stupid. That's Stupid. just dumb. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, I, I'd be a good class, Ryan. It it would not. It would a. It would be a, a a. It would be a class that keeps the gap from widening, but it wouldn't necessarily be a gap closing class to me. Um, you you could make a case that it's slightly makes you slightly, but to me it's just okay. It's just keep doing you know you're just still doing the same thing right like dewan lane i like a lot he you give him one kennedy to me there's there's just too much there's just too much too many variables with that trio you know like is dewan lane gonna outgrow safety you know there's always things like that there's always so it would make me a little nervous to be honest with you i'd like the class i would but i don't know that i would love that class or think that it's necessarily a gap closing class. But it, the good thing is it would prevent the gap from widening. In my yeah. opinion, I, I do think that I do think yeah. that. Well, I, I think that you would get a lot of length from that class specifically sure. and a lot of play, like playmaking ability. Cause I mean, Dewan Lane is six foot, 395 pounds. Paul Mankey is listed at six foot two, but then you see him pictures like next to Marcus Freeman. And you're like, that dude is towering over Marcus Freeman. Like, so I don't know exactly what Paul's height is, but he's a pretty tall dude. And I mean, Kenny Erlacher is the shortest of that group. And even he's like six foot six, one somewhere in that ballpark. Right. So like, it's not like he's a short guy by any means or a, a, a lacks length. Like he has good length for the position. I would like that class. I really would. I mean, it would be, it would obviously be dependent. Cause I agree with you. It would be dependent on development. But mm-hmm. one thing that we've talked about is that Chris O'Leary is a pretty good developer right. at the safety point. position. So like, that's a really good point, okay, right? You know, he like, could do a lot with this group. You're right. Yes, I, I feel like he could get but, a lot out of Dewan Lane's ability. A whole lot out of Dewan Lane. Here's my counter argument: Can yeah. you justify keeping him around if this is the best he can do from a recruiting standpoint? It's fair. I, I think mean, it's good enough to keep him around for at least another year. Yeah, for sure. Because you said it is a good. So I have Kennedy or Lacker's a four-star recruit. I'm like top 250-ish kind of guy. Uh, I have not graded Menke. Probably a four-star guy, probably. You I know, mean, he, he he's yeah. a good player. And yeah. Dewan Lane's a top 100 guy. So, I mean, there's some stuff there to work with. But, but again, what's the standard we're referring to? For me, this is for me. Is this going to help you go beat Georgia and Alabama and Ohio State? That's That's how I look at a class. And to me, this class doesn't necessarily do that. But I think where you so, sort of got me, Ryan, was kind of like, ooh. You know when you're in an argument with someone and you think you're winning and they say something and you kind of have that, ooh, 
that's got to make me think again. Ne never no, happened to me. Before. Not to, yeah, never. shut up. <laughs> not that you and I are having an argument, but but the counter that you made to that is a really great point, Ryan. Like, there's some tools for a guy like Chris O'Leary who's shown he can coach, right? To work with there, man. There really yeah. are. There really that are. happens to me. That happens to me first. My wife all the time. Where I'm just like, <laughs> all right, I quit. I, I'm sorry. No. <laughs> That's not what I'm talking about. I'm I'm talking about a genuine response that somebody makes where you're like, that's a really good point. Like that's actually like, you know, I was feeling this way. You made that counter argument. Now I'm feeling this way. Not like a, okay, I realize I'm, even though I may be right, I'm not winning this argument. So I'm just going to bow out. That's not what I'm talking about. I can tell what conversations you are having today before the show, apparently. Not man, right. today, today's a good day, sir. Today's okay, good. good. Very good. Very good. All right. Let's get, let's get to some more. Next question from John A1. On the current roster, which defensive lineman has the highest ceiling overall? Which players can reach their ceilings in 2020 or reach Ooh. their ceiling in 2023? That is a good question. Who would you say of the non-freshman current defensive lineman, Ryan, has yeah. the highest ceiling? Because I know who my pick would be. Jo Joshua Burnham. Okay, we're Joshua on the same Burnham page. Mine. Yeah. Yeah. Will he reach I that in 23? No. No, he won't. He'll start hopefully start to flash it, but he has a freshman ceiling in 2023. In yeah, it's probably more a 2024, 2025 right. type of outlook right. for it. I'm interested to see. Did you have Jason Onye as a five star upside guy? Four and a half star. Four, four and a half, half star. Yeah, I loved his upside. I, I, and I still don't see future first round draft pick, future early day two, day two draft pick yet. But right. I love the tools. There's a lot of upside there, right? I mean, and that's the thing, Ryan, that, that you and I have talked a lot about. There's a lot of upside on this D-line. Forget the incoming freshman class who we've talked about. Three of the five, four got five-star upside grades. I mean, you're talking about Jason. You're talking about Josh Burnham, Aiden Gobira, yeah. Tyson Ford in that younger class. You talk about Jason Onye. Riley Mills, I still think, has a very high ceiling. I, he's like that Ramon Henderson type. Is he as he peaked out where he's just not going to get to what I thought his ceiling was, or is there another jump coming for him? We don't know the answer to that. I think Jordan Tellho is still a high ceiling guy in my yeah, opinion. I would put and, him and that way. He's yeah. another guy that could tap into that it, that yeah. you hope this year. There, there's a lot of guys like that, and then you bring in the incoming freshman class with you know Brandon Vernon and Bubakar Traore and our and Armel Mukum and Devin Houston and there's a lot of high ceilings but to John's point how many of those guys are going to come the how close are some of those guys going to get to that I don't need right. Josh Burnham to reach his ceiling in 2023 I don't need Tyson Ford to do that I didn't go buy the freshman class they just need to not look like disappointments right and and start to take steps with the sophomores we need to see if Notre Dame's going to be the team that that we think they can be, Ryan. We need the Jordan Patelhos, the Riley yeah. Millses, the Jason Onyes, Javante Jean-Baptistes. We need those guys to say, okay, this is where we think your ceiling is. It's time to get there. Right. And I think that ultimately will determine how good this defensive line is. Not the Burnhams and, and guys like that. It's the juniors and seniors. It's the Onyes, the Mills, the Patelhos, those guys. The more of those guys that reach their that get close to their ceilings this year, that's gonna that's what's gonna make this D line go from being what I expect to be a good D line to a really good D line. I, right now, I think it's gonna be good. It's gonna be a solid D line as of what of what we know of the players as of what they've already shown. It's right. gonna be good, right? Yeah. It's it. We we've seen this D line go out and play against South. Carolina. I mean, that's what South. That's what they had against South Carolina. Right? It was basically the current defensive line. 
Yep. Right. I mean, that's who they had. It was, it was Mills. It was Cross. It was Botello. It was, it was Nana. It was those because Foskey was gone. Right. Adam Yola was gone. The only guy that we saw play in that game that we're not going to see a lot of now is Justin Adam Yola and Chris Smith, but we saw a lot of all the other guys. It did, did, you know, had a, had a good day for the most part. You know, had some ups and downs, but it was an overall good day. We've seen that group. They're going to be good. Yeah. Are they going to be really good? That's going to be that's going to be determined by if they start to reach their ceilings, and it won't yeah. be the freshman class and the sophomores to me that determine that. It's the juniors yeah. and seniors. I, I think Jordan Batello will be my pick to the guy that reaches his ceiling this year, hopefully. Because I mean, usually there's sometimes Brian where that last game of the season, the previous year, the bowl games are big kind of insights into what a guy's going to do the following season. And I mean, Jordan Batello had. 10 quarterback hurries and two sacks in that football game. So if he's able to create that, keep that momentum going into next season as a fourth year player now going into, I think that Jordan Patello could have a big year, but I think Riley Mills is a really interesting pick as well. I do. The, the more I I agree with you're saying, right. I'm not disagreeing. I'm adding to it. The more of those guys that get there, the better this line's going to be. It can't just be Jordan. If this team wants to be a title contender, it can't just be Riley. It has to be, both of them, right? Because I feel like we know what we're going to get from Howard Cross. You know, it, it needs to be if the, if that entire group can kind of start getting, or at least most of that group can get there, then that's how I'm going to I'm going to start feeling really good about it. I agree. Next question is from Sam Sam Hartman ten for Heisman, who used to be TE yeah, twelve for Heisman. That's right. That's question: right. What What are your thoughts on Antonio Carter, and where does Notre Dame stand with him? Antonio Carter, of course, is the grad transfer safety from yeah. Rhode Island. So he's still on his visit to Notre Dame. Yep. He won't be done, I think, until tomorrow, right, Ryan? Tomorrow, correct. And so, you know, there's a lot of work to be done, but um, Notre Dame is – I'll just say this. Notre Dame is so far doing a great job on that visit so far. They're yep. absolutely crushing it. So um, Notre Dame is going to be a big-time player for this kid when it's all said and done. That that I'm confident in saying, Ryan. You know, but um, until the visit's over, there's not a lot we can say and 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 will say because you know visits have to be completed before you, you say those things. But um, you know, I know you've reached out to him during the visit, and yeah. and we've we've talked to sources, and things are things are going pretty re- going pretty well so far. And he's blowing up, Ryan. I mean, in the yes. last week, he's gotten offers from like LSU and Florida, and he's got a pr- really impressive offer list. There's no doubt about that. He's a very coveted player. The question is going to be, you know, yep. does he? What does he want to play? Yes, because he's well, being recru- offered. I mean, it, depending on the school, he's being recruited to play like four different positions. Yes. I mean, if you really want to talk two safeties, boundary corner, and then nickel. Well, I mean, going into the visit, I had a a well last weekend. I had a little bit of an update on him for people that haven't seen the piece. So basically, to Brian's, you know, kind of analysis there is Ole Miss sees him, for instance, because he went on a visit to Ole Miss and he went on a visit to Wisconsin. Wisconsin likes him as a pure outside corner. That's where they see him. Ole Miss likes him as kind of a hybrid nickel player, a guy that can move around a little bit. Notre Dame is recruiting him as a safety, but also can do other things potentially on the back end. So there's a lot of different outlooks to him. And I think going into the visit, and this was in my piece, so this isn't a secret, that Antonio said that Wisconsin was a team that was really standing out to him. Like, that was kind of the team going into the visit. I think Notre Dame has a chance, obviously, to narrow that gap and hopefully take everything over with the rest of the uh, visit going as well as it started, it seems. And I think that it would be a, it would be a good pickup because, to your question for me, 
This kid's a versatile player on the back end. I, I spoke to a former linebacker at Rhode Island that played with Antonio Carter, and the first thing that he said when I asked his opinion on him was he's one of the best tacklers I've ever seen. And that was a linebacker talking about a guy that played corner. Like, just right. put that into perspective a little bit. So yeah. I think he would bring a lot of versatility. A guy that's played outside corner, that tells you could probably do some stuff working in the slot as a as a man-on-man cover guy at points. He's a good tackler, and he's 6'1", 200 pounds, so he has a good frame to work with as well. And I think that right there is why, you th- why Notre Dame thinks he can play safety because he is such a strong tackler. There's no doubt. Here's a fun question, Ryan. I like to mix up some fun questions as we kind of go through this as well. Here, here, where was that question? I had a really fun one here. Real is, it, quick. is it a Tommy Guns question? I love no, Tommy it's Gunn's not. It's, it's this one. It's this one. We we, From, we get something like this often, and and I like to bring them up every now and then because it is kind of fun. And I don't know that you and I have had this conversation. I know Vince and I have had this conversation, but I don't know if you and I yeah. have. Corey Norman says, if you could change one play of Notre Dame history, what would it be? Mine would be reversing the Bush push. Ooh. For for me, yeah. it's – see, the the reason it would not be the Bush push for me is that would be a great win, but Notre, I don't think Notre Dame wins the title that year. I don't think they can beat Texas. It'd be a, it'd be a good game, but I don't think they could have beat Texas. There's no way they were stopping. I mean, Michigan State hung 40 on that defense that year, right? Like, what yeah. would Vince Young have done to that defense? The one for me is the is the field goal the miss field is the field goal by Boston College David Gordon against Boston College. If I could if I could change one play, I'd have him miss that. It was the last game of the year. Notre Dame would have finished undefeated. They would have played for the national championship. They would have you know who I don't know who they would have played. They may still have played Texas A and M based on the on the bowl games, but you know maybe they would have played Tennessee or Nebraska. I'm not quite sure what the bowl tie-ins were that year. But if Notre Dame goes into the postseason undefeated and then beats. Texas A&M, and I believe Texas A&M that year was a top five team. Let yeah. me just go ahead and look at that real quick. Uh, I believe Texas A&M was a, a top five team that year. If Notre Dame goes into the Cotton Bowl and beats a top five football team, they were ranked seventh, and it was ranked seventh. So if Notre Dame beats them, and here's the other thing too, I think Notre Dame was a little deflated in that game. If you go back and watch that game, they were a little deflated in that game, especially in the first half because they had you know lost on the chance to, to play for a championship. Notre Dame is number one going into that game. I think they wiped the I think they wiped the mat with Texas AM. I really do. So so that's my thing is because that would have that's the play to me, even more than I've seen somebody say the punt return against Colorado. Is it a given that Notre Dame would have would have won a title that year if they'd have beat Colorado? I don't I don't think that it is. You know, I mean, uh I just that was 1990. That Notre Dame team still had two losses. They still lost to Stanford, they still lost to to Penn State. Now they were ranked number five. But I don't think they go from five to number one, you know, with, with two losses. I, right. That's just that's just my opinion, you know. Now again, that those were flawed teams. Colorado wasn't a great team that year. Georgia Tech had a tie, I think, that year. Uh, so so maybe they do, but I just I don't think so. There's no brainer that if they beat Boston College and then beat A and M or whoever they played the bowl game that they're the national champs because they'd have been undefeated. So to me, that that's the one for me. That, that that's a no brainer. Now again, I know for you, Rand's going to be different because you. Yeah. I don't think were you even alive that year? Or were you like just born? What year was it? What year was ninety three? Were you like just born? I was right. Two. I was two. You were yeah. two. You were born ninety one. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, um, you're thirty two. Thirty one. I'll be thirty one. So you'll year. be thirty two. Okay. Gotcha. Correct. I thought you were thirty. Yeah. In October. Yeah. Okay. Note to self. Ryan's birthday is not cool. Okay. Um, but yeah, that would have been, uh, that'd be the one for me. That's yeah, the one for me. I, I think the two that, that I can remember vividly is one, one is the Bush push because that just kind of broke my heart <laughs> at that point. I was like 14 and I was like, that sucks, man. <laughs> That's just mm-hmm. not fun. 
The other one is what year was it, Brian, with the uh, against Clemson, the, the uh, with Ever Golson, where uh, on the goal line or not, not Ever Golson, it was Deshaun um, Kaiser. Deshaun Kaiser, yeah, on the, the two point yeah. conversion. Yeah, that broke my heart there, man, because that was that was it, man. That was gonna be game, yeah. brother. That was it. So then, let me ask you this question: yeah. yes. Would you have had him? Would you have changed that play, or would you have had Kelly kick the extra point the first time they tried to go for two? Because then you're kicking an extra point right there, and you've got all the momentum going into overtime. I feel like I just would have changed that last play. I think because that would have tied it. Yeah, that would have yes. tied it. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It was. Um. I especially because I I heard an interview that Deshaun Kaiser did recently where he was talking about that play where they had it lined up and they were going to run quarterback power, but then they changed it last second to that play. That A play they had already showed. Yes, That was, exactly. so, that was yeah. the dumb part yeah. about it. Yeah, so it was uh, – yeah, man, I just – man, winning that game, I, again, that team was flawed, right? Like there was a, obviously an obvious flaw in that team, so it wouldn't have changed drastically that season as much. But it, I mean, it, it may have it may have caused dude, some momentum moving forward a little bit, though, man. Here's the thing. In that year. You win that game – you're ranked number one or two going into Stanford at the end of the year. How does that game shape up if Notre Dame's got a national title berth, a playoff berth on the right. line? That's the question you got to right. ask yourself. And that's that's the thing that always kind of factors into some of these decisions. Does this thing equal this? Like, does it lead to this? What does it lead to? What changes about that team if that game, if the outcome is different? You know? Right. Does I see a lot of people talking about the the penalty against Florida State, the the phantom Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, pick play it? against Florida State yeah, in 14. Does yep. that Notre Dame team implode the way that it does if they beat Florida State? I don't know. But that team was pretty flawed by, by the end it of was. it. So It was. But that pick yeah. play was very, very oh, terrible. terrible. So, terrible. Yeah. I've, I've said this. What happens if, if Dane Chris doesn't hurt his knee against Tulsa? How does that season finish? You know, there's two ways to look at it. One is you beat Tulsa. But do you finish the way that they finished where they run the table? Like there's always those different things that I've heard people say, man, if Dane Chris doesn't get hurt, I've said this, if Dane Chris doesn't get knocked out, if he doesn't get that concussion against Michigan in 2010, they beat Michigan that year. They were working Michigan and then he got hurt. Michigan took the lead. Then he comes back in and they take the lead back. Yeah. So that would be uh, it'd be an interesting one. Somebody said the Tyler Buckner injury against Marshall. That, that, that'd that be fascinating. It'd be very fascinating. So, I, I saw someone said the EQ, uh, when they weren't able to hit that EQ pass against Miami, against Miami. that one year. Yeah. That was Brian, one. I have said this, and I'll say this till the day that I die. No one's going to change my opinion. If if Brandon hits Equinemius on that post route on drive one, yeah. and they jump up on Miami 7 nothing like that, that game's over. They, they win that game. And awesome. that Notre Dame team, they definitely beat Stanford at the end of the year because that team yeah. was just – they had kind of give up, given up after that game. That team was yeah. just they were they were tapped out. You, I, I also you, I also hated the one play that I wish I could take back, but I don't know how much it would alter that game because it wouldn't have been like the game over. But the remember the uh the fake field goal Michigan State with Charlie Gantz for, for the win. Oh, no, the was little that, Giants one in, yeah, in eleven. Yes, yes. Oh yeah. Or that was two thousand. Oh no, no. Yeah. The, um no, I was talking about the one where I think yeah, yeah, 2010. Yeah, that yeah, was the was one. A little was, Giants was, one. Was yeah. Connor Cook the quarterback at that point? I think maybe. Or was that? Two, I believe that so, but he didn't throw that touchdown pass, did he? No, he didn't. No, it was a okay. it was a field goal team, and they threw it to Charlie yeah. Gant down the middle of the field. Yeah, that was um that and Harrison Smith fell down. Yeah, that was yes. brutal. That yes, was, was brutal. That one hurt. That one stung. I was at that game, by the way, Ryan. That that one stung. That one definitely it sure stung. did. 
It sure did. Because yeah. Charlie Gant just like completely tossed him aside. I was yeah. like, that's gotta be something, man. Yeah, it's like, gotta be something, bro. Come something. on now. Yeah. Yeah. Le'Veon Bell was on that team. They had a really good yeah. backfield that year. Edwin Baker, Keyshawn Martin, and, and Le'Veon Bell. Did they, they did uh, a Kirk good job Cousins was their year, quarterback, by the way. Kirk Cousins was their quarterback. Kirk Cousins was a quarterback at that point. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. BJ Cunningham was a was a receiver. Keyshawn Martin was a was a uh, receiver for them. Hey man, all um, those quarterbacks were yeah. the same guy. Let's be honest. Yeah, they so. pretty much were. You're not wrong. <laughs> You're not Except wrong. for Drew Stan. Drew Stan was the only one that yeah. was any different. They were all yeah. pocket quarterbacks other than yeah. Stan. <laughs> this is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Next question is from M. Rent 520 Which of the summer enrollees has the best chance of making a similar impact as Benjamin Morrison? I personally am excited to see what Brennan Vernon is going to do. I'd like to see that. I'd like to see what Brennan and, and Bubakar, because we haven't seen Bubakar like in a while, Ryan. I mean, it's yeah. like he's he was injured. We, he hardly any film. That high school does nothing to promote their players. Like and they're actually the nothing. opposite. They like under like they resist any attempts to try to get anything to help us promote their players. It's really weird. Yes, yes. Um, they're very hush hush in that round. That oh spot yeah, for some reason. very un, 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 uncooperative and unhelpful so far. Which you know we'll hopefully still try and do some things to fix that. But uh, he's a bit of an unknown, so I'm curious to see him. But for me, the the summer enrollee that I I think has a chance to to have a I don't know if any of them are going to have a Benjamin Morrison type of impact where like they're starters by game four, essentially like an American. And yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But the one that I think that I look at and say, boy, I'd love for this guy to be that guy is Jeremiah Love. I think it's a good one. Jeremiah Love has a chance. Not only is he an outstanding player, but the depth chart is a little bit more favorable now because you, you've got obviously Logan Diggs is gone and, and Darian Price has, has kind of got some of the the issues he's had from a, you know, from an injury standpoint, stuff like that. But, um, um, you know, to me, Ryan, he's a guy that has home run ability. He has yep. ability to come in as a freshman, make an impact. He's not going to be like an every down back. He's not going to be 15 plus cut touches a game, but, you know, get him five to seven touches a game, let him return some, some punts or kicks or whatever, get the football in that kid's hands. Cause he's got a chance to be a, a, a Josh Adams type freshman. That's what I see when I see, Jeremiah Love. I could see him having a Josh Adams type freshman year. Long, explosive, fast. Get him behind that offensive line. Get him five, six touches a game. He's going to average like eight, nine yards a carry, you know, because he's going to rip a big one off or something like that. Throw him the football and let him go do let him go do his thing. And then if by the end of the year he's getting more touches, he happens to be your number two at that point in time. So be it. But that would be my my best bet for incoming freshmen. And then the other one is is I mean. The guy that the guy that I could see being the freshman All American, to me, there's one incoming freshman who's not there yet. Ryan, you know where I'm I going with is. this. Yeah. Go ahead and say it. I got keys. Charles Jagasaw. Yeah. Bingo. Yeah. yeah. Yep. <laughs> yep. Bingo. I mean, I mean, because let, let's be honest about this, right? You have Billy Shrouth, who is a potentially dynamic offensive guard, but the other guard spot, we're talking about a couple guys that are now getting a little bit older. Andrew Christophic in his fifth year. You're talking about Rocco Spindler, who's now going to be a third year player. If Charles Jagasso comes in, I think, man, he just 
again, this is from me just seeing him in person once, Brian, where I saw him in person. I'm just like, holy snot, man. Like I looked at him and I'm like, dude looks really good for 300 pounds. And then he told me he's 325 pounds. Yeah. I'm like, oh, Lord, yeah. what, what do you eat, man? That's insane. So he's a guy. I'll say another one that I think can have an impact, Brian. But again, not Benjamin Morrison impact, but we've we've talked about this one before this was so this was not a huge shock but with what the tight end depth is right now with the injuries i wouldn't be shocked if cooper flanagan plays the football this year yeah i wouldn't be shocked at all in some capacity yeah. so don't see him having right sort of day. like that yeah yeah don't see him having like that benjamin morrison uh nah. deal nah. but yeah he he could play here's a here's a follow-up question to the previous conversation that we yeah. had from and this is from hunter land right i'm gonna ask this because this because you mentioned one of those plays also i'll ask you Yep. Hunter Land asks, in 20, 2015, which would you rather change, the two-point conversion or Malik Zaire getting hurt? I know which one I would pick. I, I, I would I would still pick the two-point conversion, Hunter, for me, just because I, I think that Malik would have ended up being a really good player after that, most likely. But I just think there's a lot more volatility with that projection because you're talking about a lot more game sample size, right? A mm-hmm. lot more just that how would have to go into that in the, in the two point conversion scenario, that's one play decider. Like that's it. Sure. That's game. Right. So I just feel like that's one's a little more absolutes. The Malik one, I feel like has a little bit more volatility to it. So I wouldn't pick that one. Here's why I would pick the Malik one. And it's a no brainer for me because I don't necessarily agree with the volatility part. I think that there was Malik was not a, a guy that was going to go out and complete six, 70% of his passes every game. He was not going to be the Texas guy very often. We were going to get a lot more of the Virginia performances from Malik. A lot of people look at that as a bad thing. I don't because you know what he did in that game? Made a ton of plays. And, and the other thing is Malik was a great leader. And I've always said this, the conditions of that Clemson game were such that if Malik was your quarterback, it doesn't come down to a two point conversion. You just win that game. I mean, that's just the way that I look at it. And uh, so I don't think they would have, I think they would have beat Clemson. I think they would have, I think they would have run the table. I really do. I think that team was so loaded and Malik was that perfect leader, grinder type of guy, but could also throw the ball a freaking mile, you yeah. know? So you still would have got the Will Fuller deep balls. Cause guess what? We already saw that. Do you remember the bomb he threw in that Virginia, threw to Will in that Virginia game? So my dad was at that game, Ryan, and he was on. So they threw that, like, looking at the TV left to right. My dad was in the end zone heading in that direction. And he was talk- he, he's talking to me about how, like, that ball just kept going and going and going and going. And, uh, you know, I just, I just felt like Malik, the team just, if you look at the three games Malik played in, LSU and Texas and Virginia, that team just responded to him. And you've seen this in football, right? Like this guy may not be the greatest quarterback ever, but when he's on the field, that team plays different. They respond to him in a different way than they do other people. And that's how I felt about Malik and that 2015 team. And we saw it in the bowl game. I just feel like if Malik could have stayed healthy that year, that team was going to be special because they had been building for him to be the guy. There was no quarterback battle in 2015. It was Malik's team. And they rallied around Malik. And, and the one thing about Malik is that kid was a worker when he was in college. He was a worker and he was a, a leader. And the kids responded to him. He was not a guy that was afraid to say, hey, get in your face in the weight room and say, hey, you're not giving me enough to anybody. And you needed that kind of guy. And so 
that's the that's a good one for 2015 hunter if i could take malik not get hurt and that's the one play that i change and then you got to tell me too that he's not going to get hurt in another play. right that, that, that <laughs> you know that's what i mean, what I mean like, by the volatility right, right? it's like but, you never know what's going to happen after yeah that. correct right. correct but yeah that would be the one for me but i get the one Ryan. you're talking about the this is what we know we yes, know ab- if you get absolute. that right right yeah right but that would have just tied the game sure they still would have had to go win it in overtime but um yeah, that was. Oh, man, you were riding all the momentum, though. At all that of point. it. You're going to win. It. You're going to win. They had shut yeah. their offensive offense yes. down early in the third quarter. You can't just ramp yeah. that back up, man. I don't think. Yeah. yeah. And Notre Dame had found some answers. Yes, they did. They had found some answers, and they were starting to move the ball on that Clemson defense at that point in time, too. So, yeah, that's a really good one. Really good one there. I like that. I like that. Let's see here, uh, Ryan. We've got here's, a, here's an interesting one. Kind of relevant to uh, today's news. Yeah. John A. once said Jeremiah Wusukormo was listed at 188 pounds by rivals on his recruiting profile. He's the only recruit I remember not outgrowing the rover position. Does the staff need to adjust its projection profile for rover in? I think there was a second part. In recruiting. In recruiting. recruiting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, No, I I, I don't think. I don't think it, I don't think other guys necessarily outgrew it. I, I don't. I think the only guy that outgrew it to me is is that they saw as being a a um, a full time rover is is um, Drew Tranquil. Drew Tranquil. Yeah. I mean, yeah. and you know, and he went from safety to will linebacker, right? And I mean, Jack Kaiser didn't outgrow it, and I don't think Nolan Ziegler's outgrown it either. I just think he's just too much of a potential impact player inside. Jalen Tita hasn't outgrown it. Jaden Osbury, I don't think will outgrow it. I think it's just more about the what I think it has more to do with John is the rover position is is it's not obsolete. That I was going to say obsolete, but that's not what I meant. It's it's becoming a position that's going to be a harder and harder and harder to have as a guy that plays with the the number of snaps that Jeremiah Wusukoromo played unless he's a Jeremiah Wusukoromo type of player. And and a guy that can cover and and do the things that he did. So and I think that's the interesting thing about a guy like Teddy Rezac. It's something that I think is a little bit interesting about Jaden Osbury is they can be four down player. Jaden Osbury can be a a four down, I say three down player at, at Rover, in my opinion, at, at the next level. But there's even then there's going to be some teams where it just doesn't make sense to have him be a three down player there. Right. He can do it, but you really are going to be better off getting a nickel into that position. Yep. And so I think that has more to do with it than anything. I think it's it's more about how many rovers do you actually need is more of the debate now for me as opposed to the type because I think the type has been pretty consistent. I mean, again, Drew Tranquil wasn't recruited to be a rover, and Nolan Ziegler was, Ziegler was never recruited to only be a rover. It was always play rover, but there's always the Until, potential that he was going to move inside. Yeah. And so uh, I think it depends on the player, uh, and I think that there's it's smart to have different types there. In my opinion, yes. you don't have three guys can only play in space and they can't move inside because then you, cause you can't play all three of those guys, especially nowadays, Ryan, where you're not going to be playing that rover for 60, 70 snaps a game. That's it. I mean, I mean, yeah, I, I think that I, I talked about this in the Rezac section of this podcast is diversity, John. Like, I think that's the biggest thing for me is that I would love the ability for a guy to play in all situations, right? Like, wouldn't it be fantastic if a rover could just playing against heavy personnel, he can reduce down, play Sam linebacker, you know, in, in regular base, he can just be that four two five rover type in a spread out formation where a team goes no huddle and it's just an empty. If a guy can just sit there and just play nickel, like that'd be fantastic if that guy was all in the same body, but it's hard to have that, you know, like those are really mm-hmm. rare football players in that instance. So I'm a big fan 
to Brian's point, and I made the point earlier, it's adversity, diversity, diversity. Right now, you have a guy like a Jalen Sneed, who's a 6'1", 216 pounds, rocked up dude, right? Who's probably going to be over 220 pounds and maybe moves inside eventually. That's kind of what I see with him. Then you have Jaden Osbury, who's more of the six foot, 210 pound guy who is more of that true rover type right now than what I think Jalen Sneed is currently. But then you're going to add Teddy Rizak, who is six, three and a half, maybe six foot four at that point and 205 pounds during the early portion of his career. So it's all different types of skill sets and depending upon what team you're playing, because that's another big sell to me is that if I'm a, if I'm a defensive staff selling the Rover position to a recruit, I can say, Hey, when we're going to get Stanford, this is the type of rover that we need for that game. When we're going against Clemson, this is the type of rover that we need in this game. When we're going against X team, this is the type of rover. We're going against Navy. Here's what our rover is going to look like in that situation. And that also allows for you to get more players on the football field and almost become departmentalized in their role. I mean, you think about all the great inside linebackers that were dynamite against Navy, but not really against anybody else, right? Like the, those types of guys that get that start. Think about Joe Schmidt early in his career, right? Where it's like that guy was just a Navy specialist at, at, at the early stages of his career. That allows guys to get into a role and feel like they are a part of the game plan. They're a part of the initiative of what the defensive staff wants to do. So I think the diversity is the biggest thing for me, and it always will be. Next question from Domer Griff says, how will wide receiver scout team work this year? If all three early enrollees are expected to impact games, will they rotate down to scouts or just use Caleb Smith and walk-ons? Will CS, 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 CS. Coach Stuckey, I think. Coach Stuckey contribute or on scout. Oh, CS. Oh. Hold on a second. No, that's not. Oh, Caleb, I think he's saying Caleb Smith, but with a C. It's a K just so that we're okay. there. Yeah, will I Caleb was Smith confused. contribute or scout only? There we go. I mean, I would imagine early on he's probably going to be a scout guy. There's a couple things about this, Ryan, that, that this is a very interesting question, and I, I like the question. So number one is I don't think all three of those receivers will be playing uh, in the rotation every week. Yes. You know, the, the, you're going you're gonna to find some opportunities for, for me, in my opinion. You're going to find opportunities to get Braylon James down on the scout team. You're going to need to, and yep. I think it's good for Braylon James to do that. There may even be some weeks where it's like, hey, Rico – uh, or Jaden Greathouse, unless you're starting, hey, on on Tuesday, we need you guys down on scout team. Or it may be like, hey, we're going to send you down on scout team on Thursday during seven on seven because we really need you to give those guys a look. And and so you'll see some of that. And I, I I know I've been on teams that have done that. I know that they've done that in the past at different places, Ryan. I think it's smart to do that because you let them know, look, we are giving this team a – we're giving our scout team a look. You're still – going to play and and so you may send him on Tuesday but then you bring him up with you on Wednesday and Thursday and get him ready for the game and he's still on all your meetings and stuff but you just on that Tuesday or maybe it's Wednesday or maybe it's seven on seven on Thursday something where you're going to say hey look can we get these couple young guys for this practice we're playing Ohio State on Saturday right like we need to face Jeremiah Love and Braylon James and Jaden Greathouse and Rico Flores for at least one of the practices right because we need to face that speed and you do that. You don't need to do that against Tennessee State. And and so it's it's a week by week thing where you your offensive and defensive coaches have to get together and say, do you really need that guy down there to be your sixth receiver every single day in practice? Can't we get that kid for a, a period or two? You know, you can do things to get him ready to play, but he's taking ten reps with you on the first and second team because he's their number six receiver. He's going to get a million reps with us, and he's going to make us better and help us go compete against you know Marvin Harrison and Emeka Buka and those guys this week. Right. So you have those conversations. 
The other thing, too, is Notre Dame's got some young walk-on receivers that are really good football players. Have you ever seen Leo Scheidler's high school film? I have not. That kid's no. a really good football player. He I've just seen, wanted to come I've to Notre Dame. You I've know seen I mean? Jordan Faison's, though, yes, that is going to yes. be here in the summer as well. Uh, so they had an, You know they had an early, early enrollee walk-on this year, oh, really? Notre Dame did? Alex Whitman. Oh. He's a good football player. He's now – he's like a buck 50. I mean, that kid is skinny. <laughs> yeah. Like <laughs> – but he's a good football player. But Leo Scheidler, when I looked at him, I'm like, dude, if I'm at like Indiana State, that's a dude for me. Like, that's a guy that I want to come play for me. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's a good football, but he's athletic and and he's got some really good film. And I, I remember I actually tweeted about this when he committed to Notre Dame. I was like, this guy's a good football player. You know, it's just his brother goes to Notre Dame, his family, it's a Notre Dame family. You know what I mean? So that's why he's at Notre Dame. That guy's a good football player. He's going to give you a look. Yeah, you know, and and there, there's there's guys like that on the roster that you look at and say, guys, I know that this is a walk on, but this guy is a good football player that's going to make your team better. But there are just going to be some weeks where, guys, I need Braylon and Jeremiah Love down sure. here this week because I can't replicate sure. the speed in practice. Those the you know what I mean. And as an offensive staff, you have to be willing to do that right. on certain weeks. Don't come to me and make that request the week of Tennessee State. Don't come to me and make that request when we're going to play Central Michigan. You want to make that request for NC State or or Ohio State or or USC? Cool. Or Duke. I watched Duke's – thank you, sweetie. I watched Duke's spring game the other day, Ryan. They got some athletes at receiver. They got Jalen Catalan. They got the the Moore kid that played quarterback, uh, battled last year with, with Riley yeah. Leonard for quarterback and got beat out, moved over receiver, caught like – 50 some balls. I mean, they got some good athletes, a receiver. That's a week where with a mobile quarterback, you may say, Hey guys, can we, can we please get Kenny Minchie this week? I know he's up with you guys, but can we get him on Tuesday this week, please? Yeah. You yeah. know, he's your number three quarterback. We need a guy that can sling the rock around. We're going to play Louisville. You know what I mean? They're going to throw the ball a million times. I need Kenny down here with us. You know, it just, you got to be smart about it. Right. Cause you, I can't send you, Jaden Greathouse every week because I need him because he's my, you know, my number two Z or whatever, my number two F or my, you know what I mean? Like, I can't give you Rico Flores every more very often because he's my number two. He's my number two Z, which they've, did you notice that Ryan in the depth chart that I put out? They've changed the positions. It's now X is now the boundary. Uh, Z is, is, which is is the way God intended it. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) No, it's the only time I ever knew called it a W. I always called it an X. Z it's so it's traditional. Z and X are now the traditional outside positions. And then F is the slot role, which can be a receiver or tight end, um, by the way. So I was able to get some clarification on that. So thank um, you, Notre Dame. Yes. I I, I don't, I don't have to change my, my (laughs) growing up of knowing football anymore. (laughs) Thank you so much. Always uh, exit Z, man. Yeah. Always exit. But if Z, you can yeah. get a guy like Caleb Smith down there every week with Leo Scheidler, you know, with some of those guys you have down there, you're getting some good looks. You're going to have Kate right. Cooper Flanagan potentially down there a lot this year. Yeah. Uh, you know, you might have Jabron Payne down there at weeks. You may some weeks you may have Jerry Bryce down there. Some weeks you may have Jeremiah Love down there. You know, Sam Asaf is a good football player. You saw in the you saw in the Blue Gold game. Guy's a good yeah. football player. He's a Notre Dame kid, right? I mean, his brother went here. Is that other family members go here? You know, that's the thing. You all have to understand these walk-ons are not just, you know, rich kids who have a dream of playing, putting a Notre Dame uniform on and their dad's donated a lot of money and they let them throw the uniforms on. That That's not how this works. These are really good football players at high school level that just want that understand, hey, I'm not an NFL player. I could go to Indiana State or Valpo or Duquesne or something and play football for four years, but 
I'm not a I'm not an NFL football player. I want to be a CEO. I want to be a doctor. I want to be this. I want to be that. And Notre Dame's going to get me there. And while I'm there, I'm going to go play football. Yes. Right. But they're good football. There's a lot of those kids on this football team, Ryan, that are good. I mean, we talked about the incoming recruiting class. Say, well, man, you know, you're, you're a little short on numbers at safety or whatever, or linebacker, and you're going to have to get a walk on down there playing linebacker and this kid named Luke Talich. And I, he, like, dude, guys, Luke Talich is going to be better than some guys they face on Saturdays this year. Let's be real about that athletically. Well, I, I was just going to say, I don't think anyone's going to tell any of the running backs that Luke Talich is a walk on when he's right. beating them in the hole. <laughs> like, right. I, I right. Henry like, oh, Garrity's like that at time. I mean, if you've got Henry Garrity and Cooper Flanagan down there running tight end for you this year, you're good. You're good. And they have like yeah. 37 tight ends on the roster, man. I mean, they, they have yeah. so many walk-on tight ends. It's not even Selma funny. and everybody. Yeah, and, but yeah. Uh, you, you'll have some guys that can give you looks. There's no yes. doubt about it. There's yep. no Jordan Faison playing a little slot, maybe playing some quarterback oh, yeah. in Navy week. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, it's an athletic football player that can help your football. I mean, he's going to give you a good look. There's no doubt. Yep. The position where I'm most concerned about that, Ryan, is is quarterback. It's going to be tough to can. It's going to be tough to have one of the uh, those two guys, Minchie or Angeli, down there very often. Yeah. Well, look, you know, I, I, I haven't I haven't seen the Dylan Devezin kid play, but hopefully he can give him a. He can spin it. Yeah. He can spin it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but he's you know not very big, and and he's right. not Kenny Minchie or Steve Angeli's prospect. Sure. But there's going to be weeks you're going to have to say, hey guys, we need to do more good on good, which is another yeah. thing you can do. Right, one on ones this week are good on good. I need Benjamin Morrison and Cam Hart going against Tobias and Dion and Jaden and, you know, uh, those guys this week in one-on-ones, right? Okay, cool. Some weeks like, hey, guys, I don't need to take a chance of getting these guys hurt. We're playing Tennessee State. Yes. Like, let, you know, yep. we don't, that's just part of being smart as a coach and saying, you know, when you do and don't need that. So, yeah, it's a very, very good question. Very good question. Next question is from Christopher Crosby. Thank you for the question. It says, we talked a little bit about Andrew Voorhees and how people were saying he could have been a first or second pick if not for the injury. I had a fifth round grade on him. Is that a fair ranking? Yeah, Christopher, I think it's a fair ranking. I think it is. Look, I I, I, I said this on Twitter when all the madness of the Andrew Voorhees hype was happening. I was like, that's a solid day three football player, Andrew mm-hmm. Voorhees. Like, that's what he is. I think that Andrew Voorhees, barring an injury setback, We'll make a roster in 2023, and I think he'll be a sound backup option at both interior spots and he even played a little bit of offensive tackle during his USC career. So backup in a pinch of tackle when you need it, right? Like I think he's a good swing player. And when you're talking about a fifth round grade, at least for me, a fifth round grade is that depth put piece as an offensive lineman, a guy that can potentially swing at a couple of different spots. So for me, if Andrew Voorhees didn't get hurt, Probably would have been a fifth round pick. Probably is where he would have went. Fourth or fifth round. Somewhere in some in team, line. yeah, right. Some team would have might have fallen in love with him in round four, right? Like have, that's yeah, what happened with Robert Hainsey, right? Like right. Robert Hainsey was getting mostly like round four grades, but a couple teams, I was told the Eagles and the Bucks were two teams that had fallen in love with him that were probably going to take him in round three. Yes. And obviously the Bucks took him. Yep. But uh it just takes one. But yeah, it's a it's a good response, good answer, Ryan. I'm gonna I'm gonna read this next one. We have a super okay. chat here from uh ICURN with Irish Luck. And he says, Ryan, I've missed live shows, but I hope everything is great with your family, man. I was am sending prayers your way, brother. And you had a lot of people, obviously, Ryan, yes. when you had to leave the show praying for you. So if you don't are you okay? I know you yeah. did on the board, are you okay just giving an update of kind of what yeah. happened and, and where, where things are now? Yeah, of course. Um, I mean, so basically we were doing the live show and and I really do want to just say that I appreciate everyone so much because I had Twitter messages. I had message board messages. I had a message board post. I had people texting me. 
Uh, I just want to, yeah. So that day I basically had gotten a, a text from my wife that said, call me. And my wife never does that during shows. Like she never, she never just says like, call me like, like dire. So I, I talked to her and, and basically she had gone in for a checkup. Cause for people that don't know, I'm expecting a baby here in just a couple weeks. Uh, my second That's daughter. A little girl, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Second daughter. And basically when they went in to hear the heartbeat and everything, they heard the heartbeat, but then the heartbeat went down drastically. And they're like that, like I, that's, and basically my wife was freaking out because the, the person, the nurse that was, was doing or the procedure w- was just kind of like, you need to go to the emergency room right now. And like, didn't explain anything to her. It was like, that's just, this is serious. Like you need to go to the emergency room. So we ended up having to go to the emergency room. My wife had to be on the uh, the ultrasound thing or whatever that thing's called for like two hours or whatever just to monitor and stuff. So luckily, everything seems fine. Um, no no setbacks in that regard. They were able to, to find the heartbeat consistently and everything seems okay now. So everything's good. Expecting the baby. I, I was telling Brian this yesterday. I think that this baby is going to come a bit earlier than anticipated. That's what it feels like right Bracing now. Bracing myself. Yeah. Yes. Yes, but I, I appreciate everyone truly for the good wishes and the prayers and everything. It, it was a uh, it was a scary couple hours, but we're all good. We're all expecting the same thing, and we uh, seem to be out of the woods, hopefully. So we're yeah. good. Thank you all. 